Welcome to the No Neutral Moments Podcast. My name is Patrick Payton, and it's my pleasure to discuss, to explore, and maybe even to discover what it means for each one of us to live our lives fully engaged, to challenge each one of us to be fully aware, and completely expecting to engage to the fullest everything we've been designed, called, and gifted to be. So with all this in mind, let's not waste any more time. Let's go ahead and get engaged. Well, hello there, friends. Welcome back. It's 2023. It's actually February 1st while I'm recording this. Welcome back to the No Neutral Moments podcast. And uh, we're excited about the year ahead and conversations we might be able to have and people we might be able to interview and uh, just subjects we might be able to discuss. It's hard to believe we're uh, so many episodes into this. So thankful for those of you who continue to. Um, Tell us that you listen and that you pass the episodes on to to your friends and to family and to work associates. Thank you so much for that. Um, going to be a little bit different here for uh, probably the next, probably two episodes, maybe three. Let me give you an idea of kind of what I'm going to do. I've been sitting around and and planning through the latter part of December. January has been this incredible blur. I don't know about you, but I don't know what happened to January except that I was on the road um, a lot, traveled with my podcasting equipment and never really felt like I was to a place where I could sit down and record something I thought would be of any benefit. And then I was on the road again last week and making notes and trying to do some preemptive planning for episodes. And as I was spending quite a bit of time on the road, uh, between Oklahoma and Texas, uh, I started just thinking about what 2022 taught me. Uh, things that I saw in all the different arenas that I have been really blessed and privileged to walk in. Everything from, well, I'm not even going to go into the details, but so many different avenues of business and so many different avenues of even the church world that I came out of. And uh, so many things politically and, and so many things nationally and locally that I sat down to my computer and, and I just started typing out uh, things I learned, things that were affirmed, things I don't want to forget, uh, things that I want to keep pressing into. And, and the more and more I typed, the more I thought, you know what? Um, it's my podcast. I guess I can say what I want and you get a chance to keep it on or turn it off. And I thought I would just take this list out and and go through it and, and see if there are some things that help you, um, that spur you on. Maybe some things that I observed and learned through 2022 that, um, I don't know, they might be helpful to you. You might disagree with, or at the very least, maybe the most, they would give you some things to think about. So was having this discussion with my wife about it, and um, and we were just driving down the road, and I was telling her about this, this idea that I had, and she said, just don't make it one long episode. And I said, well, okay, so, so we'll see how many episodes this is. Would love to have your feedback. Probably the best place to give me feedback is my company email, which is patrick at peytongroupllc.com. And that is Peyton spelled P-A-Y-T-O-N groupllc.com. Love to have some feedback on that. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. And other than that, um, 
post-mayoral life. If many of you didn't know, I'm no longer the mayor of Midland, Texas. Uh, We're taking our time getting ourselves back into the social media game, uh, what limited place I want to have in the social media game. So the email is probably the best way to get hold of me. So I'm sitting here with a box of peanut M&Ms. I'll probably not eat any of those. And also with this, uh, they're not a sponsor, but this really good um, sparkling water that my son-in-law introduced me to. It's called Rambler, Texas Limestone Filtered Sparkling Water. If I need a drink, I'll take a drink of that. There's a free ad for them. And so I used to be a big Topo Chico fan, but sometimes that's very hard to find. So we'll settle in here. It's nice and cold outside here in Midland, Texas. Don't know where you are listening. Uh, We were told we were going to have this massive ice storm. So far, it's been a nothing burger, and kids got out of school for a free day. And parents had to stay home, and businesses closed, and it's really just like a cold, rainy day. But let's get into, for lack of a better term, lessons of 2022. And these are in no order. I have not taken the time to put them in ascending or descending order. They do not follow a particular pattern of thought. They're just as I meditated on them and brought them up, I wrote them down. And so here's here's what we'll do. I'll just go through each one of them. I'll elaborate a little bit about some of them, and then we'll call it an episode probably. And now that it's taken me five minutes to explain what I'm doing, let's just get into it. And I'll start at the top. And here's the first one I wrote, and I'll just read it to you. It says, the circle of trust is still a small circle, and you'd better have one. You can have thousands of friends, think social media and different things like that, but the circle of trust is rarely found in the large group who, in quotations, like you. I also wrote, as I was thinking about this, this is um, along the lines of the Covey in his Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, the idea of your circle of concern and your circle of influence and where we spend our time and with who we spend our time and what events that we allow in the calendar of our life. And a lot of times we wear ourselves out with worrying about this outer circle of concern rather than putting our focus in the things that we can influence and the lives that influence us the most and that we can influence in return. I went on to say on just this one point, one of the key disciplines in this space of this circle of trust and circle of influence is you must be constantly self-evaluating and even correcting in these spaces. It's not a process that you just finish one day and it stops. It's ongoing. So so let me just elaborate on that. You know, over time, and I tell this, this little bit of advice to every young leader or manager who asks me advice and um, starts talking about the struggles they're going through with employees or um, or friends or whatever. And, and I tell them this little statement, and most of them look at me like I'm crazy. Most of them think that I've just lost my mind, that I'm not a friendly person, or whatever the case might be. And I, I just tell them, I say, look, you need to understand the higher you go in leadership and the longer you live this life and seek to live a life that capitalizes on the influence you have— recognizing that, as J. Oswald Sanders said it long before John Maxwell, leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less, which means everyone is a leader because you are influencing the environment filled with people around you, regardless of your position or title. The longer you're living and doing life and working among people, it's just a fact 
that there are only going to be a very small number of people that you can deeply, deeply trust. And I'm, I'm not talking about uh, inside your family, which, which is your circle of trust and influence, but I'm primarily talking outside of your family, work associates, even people in your church, in your social circles. It's just a small group that you can, for lack of a better term, bear your soul to. And, and I would even go so far as to say, if you are a person who believes in the practice of prayer and the importance of that, that you make that a matter of prayer that the Lord would put in your life who you need in that small circle that you allow to speak into your life and you can reciprocate into their life. The sad thing is, is if you don't have that circle, if, if everyone is just an acquaintance and everyone is just on the same level, then you don't have people who will challenge you. And I will also tell you, the higher you go in leadership, the harder it is to find people who will speak truth into your life, truth that challenges you, truth that challenges your opinions, that challenges your convictions, that challenges your notions. It's just a small circle of people. And that's the same even in your companies that you lead, the people around you who you spend countless hours of your life with, it's hard to find the circle of trust that can reciprocate back and forth. And it is a critical thing. And I am so thankful for the circle of trust that's in my life. I'm thankful for the hard lessons I've learned about letting people into a circle of trust to only find out I was not a very good judge of character, or I did not allow time to... um to cure, so to speak, um, those relationships to the point where they could be trusted. You, you know, you kind of know this is true now that you're an older adult, when, when you thought you had, you know, the friends of a lifetime that you met in junior high and high school. And some of you still do. Some of you still stay in touch with great friends from high school or great friends from college or the fraternity or sorority that you were in or just the friends that you had. But it's a rare rare case when your most trusted people are the people you thought were going to be your friends forever in junior high and high school. That's great if they are. But as you get older, the circle changes and life changes. For me, I was just affirmed in 2022 of my thankfulness for the circle of trust that I have, for my thankfulness for the people who are willing to speak into my life, and for the thankfulness of the safety of that circle and how guarded I am in that circle. Doesn't mean I don't have a ton of friends. That doesn't mean that there are people I don't just want to go out and have dinner with or have a drink with or play golf with or whatever it is. But it's just a lesson learned and maybe one you need to hear to not be discouraged when you find out the circle of trust is small. It matters. It's important. And that's just the way it is. The last thing I said about that was one of the key disciplines in this space is this constant self-evaluating and correcting. And what I mean by that is really the self-auditing of your life and your relationships and your schedule with people. You really need to be auditing your life and your time and the people you spend time with because that's an investment of your life and your time. You're never going to get back. With many people that I consult and coach, I've introduced them to this end-of-year process that I've been going through for well over a couple of decades now, where at the end of the year, I sit back and look at my calendar and look and see where I spent time and who I spent time with. 
and really do a lot of self-evaluating about who's in my life, what's in my life, and what I'm doing with the events of my life. And that becomes more and more important as you understand how critically important every single day is. So first thing on the list, circle of trust. It matters. It's important. It's often small. Pay attention to it and protect it. And if someone has you in their circle of trust, honor that and be the best person you can be in that circle of trust. Now, the next thing I have, I'm going to bend over here and pick up a notebook. Hang on just a second. So now we're back from the commercial break. Um, Long, long time ago. And when I say a long time ago, I mean 1992. I was given a handout in a training class that I went to for the first kind of real career that I had. And it was a handout called Managing for Results. And it had this thing called a performance pyramid on it. And for a long time, I've tried to find out who the original person was who um, devised this because when I was handed this this handout, it didn't have any copyright information on it or trademark information. And then I had someone else hand me sort of their rendition of this performance pyramid. And you're like, okay, what's the point? Well, here's the point, and then I'm going to describe it to you. And I just wrote it this way in my notes. The pyramid of performance is the real thing. And then I wrote, it still is. And it's become even more real to me the more I coach and the more I consult. So, okay, what is the pyramid of performance? Well, if you can imagine a pyramid, just have this pyramid in your head right in front of you. And, uh, you know, just a, or a triangle, if you like to say that. The bottom third of the pyramid, you can kind of go up, you know, 30% up. And that bottom portion, imagine the number written in there, 27%. Okay, that's that's it. And then above that, you're going to have a bigger, the, the largest portion of the pyramid. And, and you're going to imagine in your mind the number 60%. So 27% at the bottom of the pyramid. And then you're going to have 60%, which is the largest part of the pyramid by far, And then as you go up to the tip top, you're going to have a little section that's 10%. Okay, so you got 27 at the bottom, then you've got 60%, and then you've got 10%, and then what you have left is 3%. And that's that's the top of the pyramid. And and, and the way you look at this is how the population of players, so to speak, is divided that work around you and who they are and how they act and how they think. And and let me give you an idea of what I'm talking about. You're going to hear me click the notebook so I can get some of this out and read it to you. And, and I'm going to start at the bottom with the 27%. And I'm reading from a lot of notes that I've had over a long period of time. I still have this original in a notebook that I was given back in 1992. And we'll start at the 27%. And for most of you who are listening to this podcast you're not in the 27%. If you are in the 20%, 7%, you need to get out as fast as you can. But in some of the notes that I took back in 1992, the goal of a 27% person is to get something for nothing. They are takers from life. And and some of the other notes that I wrote, they're usually a troublemaking group. Um, they're usually the problem. Uh, they're not in the game. Their goal is to get something for nothing. They're usually not going to make it. At best, they're going to get by. 
And these are the types of people that no matter how hard you try, no matter what motivational things you put in front of them, no matter how much you try to encourage them, there's an excuse. Um, They're going to waste your time. And every once in a while, they may say to you, they want to grow and they want to make a difference. But quite honestly, they never do. They never step up to the plate. They're whining all the time. You kind of get the idea. I'll read some of the other notes um, that I had. Because back in 92, we wrote down understanding and working with a 27% person. And let me just go through some of these. You got to realize they're going to take a great deal of your time, energy, and emotion. You have to be careful about your attitude because their goal is to usually drag you down to their level of unhappiness. Don't waste your time sharing your dreams or goals. Uh, They'll tell you all the reasons why you won't make it. Spend the least amount of time with these people as possible. And don't even get in the relationship professionally. We wrote down, if possible, terminate them. (laughs) And so um, be prepared in meetings for the 27 percenter to shoot your ideas down. They're just constant pessimists. Be mentally strong around these people because they often lower the morale of a room and will will turn a work environment into a negative environment. Um, make sure any and all agreements are clearly understood in writing and try to avoid doing business with these people. Now, think about this because, you know, 27%, okay, let's round it up. 30% of the people... Um, that we deal with are 27 percenters. And and sometimes people end up in a 27% category because they were so influenced by a 27 percenter. So there's a few that want to break out of this mold. But um, as I wrote in my notes of the lessons I've learned in 2022, the pyramid of performance is a real thing. And there are a lot of people who can get a job who are 27 percenters but you got to realize it's a very small number of them who are going to break out of this 27%. Now, above that, remember I told you the bigger part of the pyramid is the 60%, the 60% person. And the goal of a 60% person is to make it through the day, to make it through the week, to make it through the month, and to get to retirement. Uh, other notes that I've written down over the years is the, the goal is to make it through. Most of them do not have a game plan. This is uh, the category of the average. Um, They're really not looking forward to making a difference or making much of their life. When problems come along, they usually hide, want to let other people deal with it. There are also a lot of moaners and complainers, uh, but they're not going to do anything to change their circumstance. They will make um, a lot of excuses But for many of them, remember, this is 60% of the group. What's holding them back is just a negative attitude. Uh, Their self-image is very poor. Um, Many of them are very sensitive to to real or implied criticism. They don't have a lot of confidence. You should be able to see that in this 60% category, there's a chance you can find people that want to break out and want to grow because they've been held back by the 60 percenters and the 27 percenters. And, and let me pause and just say, a person who's in the 60 or 27 percent category, so the 80 percent, the majority of the group, so to speak, they're usually most influenced by that same type of group growing up. They've had parents around them who are very negative and 60 percenters or 27 percenters or people around them. Um, and so there's, there is a chance But you need to realize the large part of the group is sort of infected with this thought process and this attitude. They don't have much energy and drive. 
because sometimes they haven't even tried. They don't have a lot of self-discipline because in many respects, they haven't been coached in that regard. They can be very apathetic. Um, And so, again, I'm noticing in in almost every environment that I am in that 60 percenters can talk a good game, but don't be surprised when they don't play a good game. And I'm not saying, you know, don't hire these people. I would venture to say that most of the people that you hire in mid-level jobs are usually 60 percenters, and occasionally you're going to find a very small group who you can help them with their attitude, you can help them with their self-image, you can teach them how to receive criticism, you can help them with their confidence, you can find out their strengths and weaknesses, you can help them understand themselves more. You can already hear it's a ton of work that goes into working with 60 percenters, and this is usually where we spend a ton of our time is trying to get these people to move, but be aware, occasionally you will find a person in this group. But you're not going to get away from the fact that if you're an organization of any size, you're going to have 60 percenters. And I would tell you that my experience has taught me that many companies really need the 60 percenters they have because this is the group that primarily wants to come to work, clock in, do their job and clock out. And they're very happy with that for the most part, unless there's something wired into them deeply that wants to go and improve themselves. And you'll find that out. And you can only test that as you put things in front of them and ask them to improve themselves. This is also the group, as I was saying, that are essential sometimes to getting things done that we need done, but they will also be the largest group of complainers which is why sometimes you have to go above and beyond in order to not give them any space to complain. There's the 60 percenters. Aren't you so excited about everything I'm telling you right now? But then you go up a little bit higher and you get into the 10% group. And and this is where things begin to change. These people um, are problem solvers. I mean, their goal is to achieve. And, and many of them have a game plan. They do make a difference. They're they're in the uncommon category. They'll set goals. They, um, and one of the notes I have, they smile at adversity. Um, they are a competitor. They're conscientious of their performance. They, they want to get better. They're never satisfied. They want to be special. And, and the goal of a 10% person is they want to achieve. They want to win. They want to accomplish personally and professionally. The biggest difference between a 10%er and a 3%er is a 10%er wants to achieve personally. A 3%er wants more people um, to succeed around them. The 3%er elevates people around them. The 10%er is really trying to elevate their own self, which is not a bad thing, but they want to be achievers and they want to be winners. And, um, you know, some of the things that, that are typical of the 10%er is they usually have a good self-image. If they're not careful, this is arrogance, and that has to be coached away sometimes. They are tolerant of other people, but not necessarily desiring to see other people succeed. They will listen to ideas from other people, but oftentimes in order to improve their game, they're usually very confident. Um, They're comfortable with people. They're high-energy people. They usually work well on a team, oftentimes flexible. Um, You know, in the 
professional realm, you want to listen to their suggestions because they're going to be thinking about things and how to win. You want to communicate in terms of benefits and value when requesting them to do a project. They will take risks. You can offer them challenges, and you can usually count on these people. I mean, you can build great organizations and great company and great success with 10% people. They're goal setters. They're ambitious. They're driven. The, the, what, what it is that sets them apart, the 10% and the 3%, is the 10%, and this sounds like I'm being negative about it, but I'm not. The 10% are just trying to win. They are not necessarily trying to find a way for all of us to win or to elevate more people around us. So they are very strong role players. They're achievers. Give them goals. Give them challenges. They're going to go get them. The next step for a 10 percenter is how they're developing the people around them rather than just themselves. And that's where you get into this 3% category. Amazing attitude, major game planners. Um, They want to be special. They seek out problems and they seek out problems to make everyone and everything better. The goal of a 3% person is they want to become, the phrase I've used, everything they're designed, called, and gifted to be. They want to compete with their own best work but they want others around them to succeed as bad, if not more than themselves. They have all these same great self-image things. They, They are, you can criticize them. They will admit their mistakes. They communicate well. They're confident. They're persuasive. All these things, high energy, high drive, very positive. But again, they've got this, this higher why, so to speak. And that is that more and more people around them will succeed. Your, your book, Good to Great, by uh, Jim Collins, would call this a level five leader. Uh, they're not out to make a big name for themselves. They're out for the success of others. And so when I, when I look at this whole thing, um, you know, the pyramid of performance is a real thing. As you're managing your life and managing your organization, I'm not giving you this so that you pigeonhole people. But what you can do is you begin to so- sort of look at the people listen to the people and watch the people and see where the tendencies are. Are they just trying to get a job done? Are they goal setters and goal achievers? Are they paying attention to the people around them? Are they incessant complainers or is their attitude one of they don't have problems, they have opportunities, they have challenges. And so I really had kind of put this pyramid away for a while, but in 2022 through a series of events I began to go back to it and realize, you know what? These are not categories to keep people in, but they are categories to help me know who I'm dealing with. And so I'm going to assume, if I'm around a 60 percenter, that it's going to take me some work to get you to be a planner, to get you to be a game planner, to get you to find a way to win, to accept challenges. And the three percenters, when you find a man, be careful because they'll usually not stick around very long if they're not given opportunity and challenge. So lesson number two is the pyramid of performance is a real thing. If this gives you any idea of how far we have to go, I have 23 lessons I've learned and we're 27 minutes into this podcast. So I'm going to do two more and call it good. Again, these are in no order. So let's go to number three. Profit, as in making money, is good but you'd better pay much closer attention to the holistic equipping of people 
or they will dump you and leave you, or they'll become 60 percenters and 27 percenters. It's no longer about work and life balance. It's the whole thing or it's nothing. Now, where this came from is I had been involved in, in quite a few meetings over 2022, and I've been listening to the performance world, the coaching world, the HR world, to discussions in boardrooms and C-suites about how important it is um, to pay attention to people, to be holistic. I've read all the books that you've read about Start With Why and Leaders Eat Last and all these different books about the culture of your company and different things like that. And and I'm sitting around thinking, in all these meetings where we talk about our values as a company, it seems like it's a bad thing to say that we value profit, that we value making money. And And this was really just a couple of months ago, and I'm sitting there thinking to myself, that's stupid that we even have to ask that question. And it's even more ridiculous and stupid that that's become negotiable, that a value that we espouse as at least one of the top three values of our companies is that we want to make a profit. Because if we don't make a profit, then all the people that we're jumping through hoops to make happy and feel good in our company aren't going to have jobs and they're not going to be happy and they're not going to feel good. And then I got to thinking about um, my great mentor, Robert Greenleaf, who died decades ago and I never met, but he wrote the book Servant Leadership. So I think he's a mentor talking about how it's really not that profit is a bad thing. It's how we go about obtaining profit with the people around us. And one of the faults, and which we sort of missed, is in capitalism, sometimes we put profit above people rather than profit and people development a different side of the same coin. If you don't have great people and great culture and a great organization that uplifts people and makes much of people, then it's going to hurt your profit. And if all you care about is one side of the coin that's profit and you pretend like you're trying to take care of people, then that's going to harm you as well. And so this 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 world around us, the corporate environment, we, we have to be careful about this anti-profit idea. Profit is a high-value proposition. But how we walk with people and deal with people and coach people and equip people is not something you do to trick them into working hard for you to profit, but it's what we do together. You know, I told someone not long ago, I said, you realize the people who work for us and do uh, help make all these dreams possible are going to spend 50 to 60% of their life with us. And so it's important that we sort of participate in this awakening because a new generation of workers, and they're not a lazy generation of workers, uh, there's no such thing as a work-life balance. You know, some of us are old enough to remember not having pagers. Some of us are old enough to still remember that you had to call someone on a payphone when you got to the airport. And now, though, that's just different. And with cell phones, you can be you can be contacted immediately. Your work email is going directly to your phone. These are things that just aren't going to change unless you live and work and have one of those companies where you allow people to shut off after five o'clock, which is very rare as well. But all I'm pointing out in this is it was sort of like a two by four to my head. And I thought, wait a minute, 
why are we so afraid to say profit is really, really important to us, regardless of what they say, you know, and what politicians might say or whatever they might say about the greedy profiteers. We're supposed to make a profit, but we have to pay attention now to the holistic place of work and work and life so that all of us profit in this regard. Profit's not the bad thing. It's how we get to profit that can sometimes be the bad thing. Kind of sounds simple, but it does demand the question, how are we holistically approaching every aspect of every person that works for us and with us, both physically, emotionally, and mentally? Maybe not a big deal for you, but um, just one of the lessons I learned in 2022. And I'm going um, to do one more. People are looking. So I'm just reading these to you, and then I'll elaborate. People are looking for something soulish in all that they do. And soulish is just a word I've started using quite a bit. The marketplace is the perfect place for this search to find an answer. The employee has changed and is not going back to just being a cog in the machine. People and organizations have changed. This sort of piggies back on what I was just talking about. Don't fight this, but don't give in to it. Try to understand how it's manifesting itself around you and be creative or, or proactive in creating the best atmosphere possible in your game. What do I mean by that? Well, I think I've told you before in some of the sacred secular stuff that um, every space that has humans in it is a sacred space. And there's really no such thing as a sacred space unless humanity is there present with it. In other words, uh, a temple or a church or a monument or anything is not sacred just because it's concrete. It's wood. There's nothing alive about that. What makes it sacred is the reverence of people that are present. And anytime you're present with people, that's a sacred space. And the only way a a place becomes unsacred is by people who are unsacred or who are desecrated. Where where am I going with all this? As C.S. Lewis said, you have never met a mere mortal. Every person that you're in contact with is an immortal. They're an eternal being. And they're with us every day in the marketplace. And we have this amazing opportunity, and I believe it's an opportunity that Henry Blackaby spoke about in 2005, that we have an opportunity to see a great awakening of the soul of people through business and how we do business. There's a generation of workers coming into our companies who want to see our companies be soulish and make a difference in in family and in life and in profit. And we have to be awakened to this and aware of this and realize that we have an opportunity to invest in people greatly so they invest in our companies greatly and in all the things that we do greatly for the benefit and the profit of all. But I'm, I'm telling you this to just pay attention to the sacred nature of what's going on around you, that people are showing up in your offices, they're showing up in your hallways, and you are surrounded by souls, and they are looking for people and organizations that care about their souls, and they will make great sacrifices for the places that they believe bring them great benefit. And so just just be paying attention to how soulish things are around you. And, and I'll give you a quick story that um, really sort of helped me understand this even more. And it's, it's when I was it's, it's crazy to say this, but it's when I was coaching Little League Baseball. And, you know, I, I, don't, I wasn't a good baseball coach, but I knew that really the most important thing you can do here is just care for kids. And so 
We're coaching these kids up. They're young. They're elementary school kids. We're having a great run. We've got some kids who have never played baseball. We've got some kids who have these horrible family lives. And at the, uh, at the end of every practice, I would gather them around home plate. And I'd already told their parents, if this is something you don't want your child to participate in, just let me know. They don't have to, but I'd ask them how they're doing, how school's going, how their families are doing. Amazing how honest uh, elementary school kids would be. And then I'd pray for them, and then we'd dismiss practice. And and I'm, I'm investing in the souls of these little league players, and it's supposed to just be a baseball game. And and later on, after the season's over, uh, these these boys, their parents all have them sign a baseball and give me this baseball. And for uh, even to this day, which is over two decades later almost, I still have players from this team who thank me for investing in their lives. And I'll tell you one more story. Uh, one of my um, probably heroes in this life is my father-in-law. His name is Gerald Bowden. And he's one of those stories of a guy who started on a machine in a shop and then became the general manager of the most profitable division of a worldwide company and retired very, very early. And my wife and I went to his retirement party uh, with the company, a manufacturing company, and um, very, very large company. And I remember watching the employees when – they were telling him goodbye, and there was more than half that had tears in their eyes. And I'm not talking about the office employees, although that was part of them as well. I'm talking about the shop employees as well. And it's where I first began to lay eyes on what it was for a person to lead from a full soul. And that's the way he led. And people honored that because he honored them and he honored their families and he honored their lives. And it wasn't just about a job. It was about life. And the final quote I'll leave you with that I've given to you before was when I was sitting with the CEO of a very, very, very large company, and I asked him this question. I said, what concerns you the most? And he said, the 7,000 souls I have to shepherd every day. And I stopped him and I said, did you intentionally say the souls you have to shepherd? And he said, yes, I'm shepherding lives in this company. And I think people are looking for that. And the more I spend time in businesses and the more I travel, the more I realize there are souls out there hungry for leadership that cares about getting to profit with the healthy souls of people. So we're about 40 minutes in. I want to thank you for listening. I want to make a mark on my notes as to where we are. And uh, I'll record another episode and we'll keep going down this journey of the lessons of 2022. And folks, just remember, there's no such thing as a neutral moment, and you are influencing people every day, and your leadership is alive and well every day. God bless, and we'll see you soon.